0: Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we are once again joined again by our opponent correspondent, Sam Spiller. He's going to help us preview the upcoming match versus the Portland Timbers. First, I'd like to go ahead and introduce my co-hosts, Christopher Signs and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome.
1: What's going on? It's a very, very disappointing time right now with the, uh, obviously the the form that LAFC is, seems to be right back in, but I'm hoping to write that ship coming this Wednesday with a home match. Glad to see you both. Still feeling
2: optimistic that we'll make the playoffs, but I'm happy that we get to write the ship this Wednesday and get another opportunity because I think we played well against Portland, just wasteful as opposed to what we witnessed this weekend looking forward to talking more about that
1: but you sir you had a nice trip up north bro i mean even though the play on the pitch was not ideal tell us about the trip up north to san jose your adventures with global diplomatic and and how that whole weekend trip went for you
0: yeah originally i had not planned to make the trip up to san jose away day The folks at Global Diplomatic reached out to me. They were having a charity event game the following day, more of a community event game the following day. So we ended up driving up early Saturday morning, doing some sightseeing around the city, checked into our hotel in San Jose and went over to the match, got to partake in the whole march into the match. And, uh, you know, it was always nice with the 3252 on an away day to just go and lung it out a little bit and you know, make some noise. And and that portion of it will never, ever diminish no matter how poorly the team plays. But obviously the game starts on a bad note. We struggle through an awkward first half. Halftime, we come back again. We start off with a terrible start to the second half and the game proceeded to just be one of the worst games I've really witnessed live as far as LAFC performance. It was an egg. The team absolutely laid a stinker. There was not really much in the way of anything positive to take away from the game itself, so everybody was in pretty down moods that night, so there wasn't a whole lot of festivities after the game as most people were pretty frustrated with the performance and not really feeling like having a good time, but nonetheless, we got up early Sunday morning, went out to Redwood City, met up with the Epicentro 74 supporters for San Jose. The guys from 110 Football came out and Global Diplomatic and we had some people from TSG there, some people from Los Tigres the north end there, and put together a little friendly game of football. We ended up getting spanked. It was not a particularly wonderful performance. I was actually the starting goalkeeper, and I was so bad, I have to admit, so terrible that in the first half water break, the starting keeper was subbed out just to give us a, a chance. I faced four shots and gave up four goals in my 30 minutes, and I think I'm, I'm going to be hanging those gloves up. This might be my my response song, my... uh my end to my professional career, I realized that I'm far better at watching this game than I am at playing this game. It was a good event. We had a really good time hanging out with them, did a scarf exchange. So they're going to come down and play a game against us in a couple of weeks when they head back down here. And it was just a good time to be able to sit back with some, you know, hardcore supporters for San Jose, to be sure. But just realize that there are some things in community that, you know, the sportsmanship and that passion we have for the game doesn't matter what team you root for. and for 90 minutes during a game, we can yell and scream at each other and say mean things about people's mothers. But as soon as the game is over, you know, it's 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 someone you can sit back, have a taco with, have a game with, you know, crack a beverage and, you know, just sit down and hang out. So that was it was great. You know, the folks from Global Diplomatic are constantly trying to build those bonds within the community. And those kind of moments are impactful. They mean a lot. That's what so much of the mantra of this team of being a force for good is all about is moments like that so hats off to them it was a good day good vibes vince man that guy's a beast played a heck of a game connor was out there killing it from 110 football those guys really have some skills out there you know slippy from tsg he was out there throwing shoulders and had one of our best looks on goal in the game and it was pretty fun we, we had a good time unfortunately did not rep the crest so well they're gonna have to make up for that in a couple of weeks when those guys head back down but you know again just global diplomatic is such a great people to be a able to do these things with week in and week out it's uh it's a pleasure and what they're doing is really being a force for good but let's get back to the game at hand the festivities around it were fun enough but this game my goodness talk me down off a ledge because what i saw in this game was really really disconcerting
1: i think that you have to take a couple of things into account yes overall the play on the pitch was not great but when you look at our starting lineup we have a lot of players that were not available and that puts us down i mean you think about us playing with no DPS at all. I mean, the DP is a significant role on every team, and for us to be playing a match with no DPS at all, it makes it hard for us to win. And when you have other players that are marquee or relied upon as as heavily as we do on players like Atuesta, Segura, it just we can't just continue to keep having these injuries and expecting LaFC to play at the same level that they would if we were to be fully fit and healthy.
2: I don't understand, I guess, defensively, why we're trying to head the ball back into play, especially when we're missing such players. And to me, because it happened twice, I feel like this is some sort of conversation that they have in terms of trying to keep the ball in play and play out. But when you're missing that many players that are integral to control the ball, I think you keep it simple. You boot the ball out, you head it out, and you fight the next throw in corner kick, free kick, whatever. Because the way we were playing before this game, I feel like we had a few games where we we're being safe and then doing our best to create chances and hopefully converting them because that's still another issue. I mean, it happened in this match again. And Muzovsky had a gimme to you know put us back in the game that wasn't converted. It just It's unfortunate that I wish we had two Chichos because he sets people up and he could put them away. He can't do both can't pass it to himself, and he's not really getting the service he was getting when Atuesta was playing, so, and the other thing I'll, I'll say is, for all those people that wanted Janela to play and start over K, and I was saying there's a reason why he wasn't even getting playing time earlier, and Crisostomo looks better, like, he deserves all the criticism, and the wages he's earning right now, I, I hope we can find someone to buy him, so we can find two or three Chrysostomos, because I I see him as a more positive player. I think he's more impactful. He links up and is able to run back and defend better than Janela. Janela, to me, at least for what he's getting paid and what he was supposed to be the heir to Atuesta, is leaving a lot to be desired. So defensively, I think we just don't have concentration and we're not keeping it simple. Just, you know, defend kick the ball out we don't have to connect every single pass when we take it away and if it's in the air it's not needed to complicate things and then that's how i feel about this previous match i do feel better about playing portland for whatever reason i think our styles clash in a way that gives us a better chance in san jose i feel like san jose is always a wild card the last couple matches it hasn't been the the good result that we are used to against that team
1: i find it interesting that you know Blessing was on the bench to start this match against San Jose. I didn't expect that, you know, especially seeing how thin we were in the forward position and the midfield position. I just don't understand why I think this is the third. I think they uh, max had said on the broadcast that Latif hadn't started a match since our 4-0 victory over SKC.
0: He's got a knee injury that he's playing through, but it limits his minutes. And so the decision was made by Bob that those minutes are the last 20, 30, as opposed to the 1st twenty thirty, but he's playing through a knee injury is what I'm hearing.
1: Well, okay, well, that makes a little bit more sense, you know, because I hadn't seen any indications on the injury reports of him being on there, so it's, it's not common knowledge.
0: Let's be honest what the injury report really is, right? The guys who are listed as out are people that are probably done for the season that we know are out for a really long time with a serious injury that's not really anything news, you're just reporting what we already know. The questionable list are really the people who have been ruled out for the upcoming game, And all of the normal injuries that people are playing through, we have no idea about because we don't get that kind of transparency. So that's what it is. I wish the team would be more forthright with this information. I think we all do to the benefit of all of us in the greater community who are sitting here pointing fingers at Bob going, why you aren't starting blessing, which is, a legitimate argument to make blessing should be in there and we have to find the roundabout ways that you know he's picked up a knock to his knee and that's why he's not getting the minutes it just doesn't seem like it's good business but you know I'm sure there's a lot more to it than what we see
2: I mean I'm surprised we even get any information to be honest like in Europe South America you don't really get information other than the lineup and the you know the the 18 that can play so and I was, a few years ago, when we were getting way more detailed reports, I was like, this is awesome. Like, I can't believe this was going on. I think after the CBA, it became more murky or more like the NFL, where it's just questionable for everything, meaning they might play or they're going to get shot up with some sort of cortisone or shot for pain. The one thing I did wish would have happened earlier, or hopefully this upcoming game, is if we could play Duke instead of Janela, play Chris a little bit more deeper. And I think that'll be way more dynamic and creative with having both Sifu and Duke in there or bringing him in sooner in the second half because I think he makes things a little bit more dynamic. But Ginella can come in to close out a game if we need it more defensive. But I just don't think the way we approach this game or the game plan against San Jose and how they're training upwards while we're being stagnant was the right one
0: probably would have been a nil nil draw if it weren't for two fairly egregious errors fall on the first goal and i got to point to moon on the second goal the communication with moon is not there it's very clear that he does not understand what people are telling him you can see it from the stands as we're watching people are yelling at him and pointing places and he's looking at him like i don't know what you're saying to me i think until we get some kind of communication barrier broken with him It's going to be really hard because in that moment where he's heading that ball back out into play, there's multiple people around him, one of them wearing a captain's armband, one of them wearing the gloves that should have been able to say, hey, hit it out, play it this way. Don't just head it to the middle of the box where there wasn't really an LAFC player to even clean it up. It was very frustrating to see, very frustrating to see. And I think we all agree Moon has a ton of potential, and we've seen some really bright things from him, both offensively and defensively, but the communication piece with him is causing mistakes, and you have to be able to speak to the other players on the pitch, so whether they figure out hand gestures or something, it's got to... And we've seen this a lot with new players coming to this team where they've struggled to communicate with their fellow team members, and it's caused issues. So I'm concerned about that going forward, and not only with Moon, but with the next player who comes in that How are they going to communicate with their teammates and what's being done to bridge those gaps? Because it seems to be an issue over and over again and certainly reared its ugly head in this last game.
1: Either way, it's evident that there's a lot of things that are left to be desired with this club. And especially, you know, with these last eight matches remaining in the season and us playing constantly these West Coast opponents where it could be six point swings, as they call them. We don't have a lot of room for error. We're not in the playoffs as it is right now. There's We're tied with two other teams for eighth place. And one of those three teams points. has a
0: game in hand against us as well, too. Vancouver's played one less game than us and tied with us for points. So we're not even in sole possession of eighth place.
1: Yeah, I can see this team making a run provided shots come our way, finishing happens at a higher percentage and people get healthy but even if players didn't get healthy i don't see us being a threat in the playoffs right like if we were to go into the playoffs with the lineup that we played in san jose i don't know i don't like i wouldn't feel very comfortable with that lineup just because of how many people are out
0: yeah injuries a lot of people want to point a finger at bob and he hasn't been perfect but Let's be honest, uh, you know, the coaches that win the MLS trophy are typically coaches with lots of MLS experience. None of those coaches win all the time. You can look at JT and say you haven't been able to build a good squad, but given the amount of injuries we've had, We still have a fairly competitive team given the fact that we're playing basically nothing more than our depth at this point in time. I completely understand people's frustrations with Bob. I completely understand people's frustrations with the front office. I think those are well-formed opinions most of those people have. But we have to take the fact that this team has nine players out of an expected starting 11 that aren't on this team. That's so much injury. The depth has been tested. And frankly, the test has proven that That's not enough. You need designated players. You need world-class talent to compete in this league. And they're just, without a DP on this team, with Noah Twesta out there, there's not world-class talent on this team. And as much as we see potential in a lot of these players, potential doesn't win you cups. You know, we need people that are proven. And at the moment, they're injured or not here. So is what it is. Big game coming up versus portland do you guys have any final thoughts on the san jose game before we dive into some other news and notes before we talk about the upcoming game versus portland
1: yeah i mean just again just to highlight to our fans you know our starters the players on that injury list right just so that it's highlighted again eddie segura tristan blackman carlos vela mahala apoku atuesta and rodriguez those are all people and players that you know maybe not necessarily apoku but you know, those, those are all starters and our starting 11. So it's, it's significant. And of course there's other players that are injured too, uh, you know, role players, but it's just, those are all relevant.
0: There are a lot of minutes this season. I would have rather had Opoku take than, people who've taken them. His injury and him being out means something to this team. Christian, do you have any final thoughts on this game?
2: No, just do better at the next game.
1: Yeah, that's true. We are going to see San Jose one more time before the regular season ends, and that's going to be a game in L.A. Uh, I think it's the 16th at like 12, or maybe it's the 12th at 12. Anyways, we're going to see him in a couple of weeks, so we're going to have another opportunity. We just got to make sure that we actually finish our our chances and and seal that game out.
0: Amen. In some uplifting news – LAFC and the Los Angeles Galaxy partnered to dedicate a field in memory of someone that is very near and dear to all of us within the LAFC community. The Tommy Mark field dedication happened yesterday. Both clubs were out there in order to christen that brand new pitch for the community and his name and memory lives on. There's a little memorial space to him there. For those of you who don't know, Tommy Mark was one of the first Academy players in LAFC history. Uh, He tragically passed away at an incredibly young age. We chanted for him in the 3252 throughout much of the first season. And he is, uh, you know, been on a TIFO for LAFC. This is a kid that had a very big impact in the community early on. Uh, On its high time, he got a field dedicated to him. And that ceremony took place yesterday. Beautiful thing to see. You guys have any thoughts on the Tommy Mark field dedication and ceremony?
1: It's a great opportunity for you to remember a young man who played his heart out for the black and gold. And it's unfortunate. And I believe that his parents have started the Tommy Marks foundation and they're looking to build another pitch in another part of West LA. I was just looking at their website today and that field is actually right next door to my work. And I was a little, I was a little bummed because I saw the information about the post today when LAFC posted that there was the Tommy Marks field dedication. And I was, I was a little bummed out that I hadn't known about it because I would have liked to have been able to walk right next door to my work and be able to, um, you know, see the events and things like that. But it just seemed like this for this to be such a, this type of dedication for, for the club and for Tommy Marks for it to not really be advertised or talked about or anything you know it was you know just interesting but either way it's a great opportunity it's a great thing for the community of Westwood to be able to put that pitch out there for the kids and for people to use and you know, I'm definitely going to go and check it out as soon as I go into work tomorrow
2: and I'm just I'm glad that LAFC's front office and LA Galaxy's front office were able going to come together I know that he played for LAFC, I think he scored the winning goal in their first match amongst the academies and then ended up playing for the Galaxy later on and then tragically left us too young. So it's cool that there's going to be a park, has some unity, although the, they're they're bitter rivals, but there are things that are bigger than the rivalry and a, a positive memory to celebrate someone that was able to wear both badges at a young age. It's probably a good thing for kids to see and families to be able to partake at. It's not always the derbies or those bitter games. There's always the weekend when you're with the family and you can see that football brings people together as well. And that always just pulls people apart because we wear different colors.
0: Amen. Well, wasn't much else that's transpired between the San Jose game and this upcoming Portland game. Although I suppose uh, a North London derby where Arsenal destroyed Tottenham 3-1 was completely over at halftime, to which my gloating got me kicked out of the community chat by Rich, but uh, it was well worth it.
1: Bro, I I could, like, you should have learned, man. You should have seen, dude, the, the purge, the deadly purge of 2019. Bro, it... You can't you can't be you can't be mouthing off to rich like that bro he he you know he keeps receipts we've seen this happen
0: yeah you don't want to mess with uncle rich he takes uh he takes the, the rivalry serious but
1: well and but, I think that didn't he get didn't didn't it happen after Tottenham lost to Liverpool in the Champions League wasn't that what when it happened
0: I don't you know you know Tottenham lose so many big games it's hard to tell which one I I yeah sorry
1: <laughs> speaking of uh European football Diego Rossi scored the first goal for Fenerbahce turkey time give us
0: an update do you see that oh man what a dude
1: it was it was a great you know player for Fenerbahce came down on the wing on the right hand side he did a little cross and Rossi did this like high karate kick when he just tipped it in it went over it just like grazed into the back of the net you know it was very acrobatic of him it was a gentle stabbing at at the ball The cross.
2: it was really interesting the way he did it but very purposeful very cheeky very clever um gently rose over the goalie I think he didn't expect it because it was more of a shot cross when he was kind of in the box aligned with the ball it was you know very aware he he was unmarked because he looked like he was offside but he was he knew what he was doing so miss him in terms of goal scoring and ability but I'm glad he's achieving some of the goals that he had Um, all the best to him and continued success and hopefully Increases the reputation of LAFC being able to move on players so that more young South American players can continue to come to the team.
1: Yeah, that's uh, two assists and a goal in the the last four games, you know, so he's definitely coming into his own, I think, and hopefully those performances continue with uh, Fenerbahce.
0: Can't wait till he has like his first hat trick game or just completely goes off. I'm really rooting for the kid to do well. Well, with that, I think we're about ready to head into our preview of the upcoming match versus Portland. So right after this, we will be back with reoccurring opponent correspondent Sam Spiller to discuss all things pesky pine trees of Portland. And with that, we'll be back after this. Hi everybody. It's Max Prados and you are listening to the shoulder to shoulder podcast. Second to none bringing you the lafc gospel all
1: right we're back from our break and for this week with our opponent correspondent we are welcoming back our opponent correspondent from the portland timbers you heard him on episode 101 welcome back sam sviller hi thanks for having me back guys no problem man you know what you did so well the first time we thought we you'd have uh, we'd have yeah. you back again a second time
3: yeah happy to happy to please and glad i didn't say anything too Too crazy last time around. No, no.
1: So for those who didn't catch our first time with Sam, you can go back and listen to episode 101 and listen to his preview of the match against Portland from last week. And if you care to follow on social media, which of course we always do, please follow all the people that are part of our show. It is at Samich923. He is a representative of Sump Town Footy, which is a SB Nation coverage of the Portland Timbers. That is at Sump Town Footy. And again, just really glad to have Sam on. And so, you know, uh, I think we're a little less encouraged to play Portland as we were originally a week ago. But let's get into the nitty gritty of it. The last time that we spoke to you, you guys were sitting in fifth place, now currently in fourth place. Again, the Galaxy are currently playing right now against Austin, And depending on how that match plays out, they could leapfrog back into fourth place and put you back in fifth but they're currently down against Austin. You guys have gained six points since the last two matches, obviously three points against LAFC and a resounding three points against RSL with a record of 12 wins, 10 losses, and four ties. Last time we spoke, you guys talked about how Portland plays a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, depending on the tactics. And we saw a lot of that in the match against Portland. So, you know, just go ahead and give us your, your analysis and what you thought of how LAFC played against Portland at Providence Park last week.
3: Yeah, I, I think for the timber side of things, first of all, about a month ago when Portland kind of started this run that they've been on, um, currently six unbeaten, rising up the table, like you said. When they started this, I'm like, oh, this could be an game improvement. I didn't expect them to rock it all the way up to the top half of of the Western Conference table. It's been really impressive what the Timbers have been able to put together. I was surprised when they played LAFC. I think I referenced this last time I was on. uh, I don't feel like LAFC and Portland have ever played a normal game. (laughs) And last we got a little crazy with the penalty and with all of the drama around that and everything that happened. But I was surprised with how well Portland managed LAFC's attack. During that game, for the most part, they kept LAFC relatively bottled up. Now, this conversation we're having might be a little bit different if uh, Jose Cifuentes <laughs> uh, buries that shot, or if one of those other earlier changes goes in. But I think it's it's a credit to what the Timbers have been, been able to do, where you know they're not making horrible mistakes like they were uh, a couple of months ago, um, and they're capitalizing on the opportunities they had. I think. That LAFC game outside of, I think, that half in Colorado I, uh, against Colorado when they were playing 10 men, I think LAFC has probably given Portland one of their toughest games during this kind of stretch here outside of maybe the Seattle game when they were away. You know, they played the way that I expected LAFC to do. I'm pretty sure they dominated possession in that game, circulate the ball. And they were really giving the Timbers problems for the first 45 minutes or so, especially the way that the defensive midfielders are really stepping in to intercept a lot of the passing lanes. Sebastian Blanco was not finding a lot of space in the first half in particular. And that's a credit to way LAFC uh, was bottling him up, at least for that first 45. I think a lot of that changed after Giovanni Savarese brought on Diego Valeri for the Portland Timbers. He was specifically given the job Gio shared in a press conference that uh, he wanted more movement in front of those defensive midfielders in front of the back line and Valeri doing so made space for the Timbers to be a little more lethal and also changed the way that they attack for, you know, attacking more on the counter attack and trying to find spaces in transition as LAFC started to press a little further forward. I think you you did a good job of describing I I think if LAFC
2: puts away some of the early early chances of the one with C franchise, the game does change, but Portland does do a good job historically of managing to stay in games, right? They they do limit your chances. so You have to take them, especially if they're gimmies. And if you don't, they are going to get some sort of either scrappy goal or very creative and dynamic goal. One of the two. So I think LAFC has been shooting themselves in the foot in which defensively they haven't been very clean uh, like a Portman. And then when we get the chances, we squander them. And that's been the story of the season. I think if you go back and look at whether or not we would have tied or won games because we gave up goals at the last 10, 15 minutes of the game, I think we'd be in the top half ourselves, unfortunately. And also, if you if you look at the expected goals, which is kind of a newer statistic in, in football, I think we're off the charts in terms of taking shots within the box and not converting or even putting them on frame. So it's just been, for LAFC fans and supporters, unfortunately, a little bit of a frustrating season in comparison to what we were used to in 2019 and even at healthy stints in 2020. So this year, whenever we play like a team that's very disciplined like Portland and steady, even when they were in their bad run, I don't think they were getting blown out. Defensively, they've always been pretty steady for the most part. So I'm hopeful that if LAFC can get some of the players that are injured this upcoming short week, not only do we get fresh legs, but I think it's something that Portland hasn't seen recently. Especially with playing a three-five-two more recently for LAFC,
3: yeah, I think there's definitely that chance for that. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it felt like that game last week was almost like a microcosm of LAFC's season. It's like boiled down into ninety minutes where you know, yeah, they played well, they had their chances, and just the the luck just didn't break their way, and, and Portland was able to to take advantage. I think you know, playing in LAFC, it's it's always hard. You know, Portland playing LAFC, I'm fairly. I don't know if they've won league match down in LAFC. I know they won that open cup match a couple of years back, but you know, in league play, Bank of California stadium has been a tough place for the Timbers as of recently. So, you know, I think Portland fans probably setting their expectations. Well, I guess maybe before Saturday, we're setting their expectations a little bit lower, probably riding high after that, that six, one win at RSL. And just as I think I saw it last week, like I could see LAFC, especially if they're fully healthy if or you know closer to healthy, like have a few more players back and are able to play more of their system and get some of their difference makers in good spots, it could create Portland problems, especially if LAFC scores first. Portland does not have a good record after getting scored on first. Um, you see it in, in the current run, right? Like during that beaten run and during, you know, obviously there's one that they're scoring first. Usually they're usually scoring earlier on in the game or, you know, the Colorado result being an exep- exception, which again was due to. Them having to play uh, down a man for the second 45 minutes. But the point stands that if Portland gets scored on first, it's proven that's kind of like the next kind of hurdle that they're kind of going to need to clear to kind of demonstrate you know, is this team really like solidly in that race for the top four places in the West, or are they just going to kind of be part of that like the big pack that's all kind of chasing? the playoff spots. And I think that's likely to happen, especially if, you know, that home crowd at uh, at bank of California is electric. And if they're pushing LAFC forward and they manage to grab an early goal, it could start to create, you know, some, some challenges and ask some questions um, of Portland. You know, you uh,
1: made mention to that victory, uh, the six one victory over RSL, you know, and there's a player that I, you know, I would like to talk about that I felt like was one that we didn't highlight last, the last time we had you on, we were talking about some of those role players or some of those players that may not be the, the marquee players for Portland, Darren Asperia, right. That young man, you know, this is, I think his seventh season with Portland. He's by far already played the most minutes He's got the most goals of his career so far in Portland. He's got seven already. You know, he's having a great season and he is someone that I think is like a fan favorite. You know, somebody who is definitely, you're not going to mark him and he's not going to be that marquee player, but he is someone that can cause havoc amongst the forwards. So can you talk about him and what he's been and what he's meant to the club this season? And is there any? concern about you know the players being fatigued because of this match against
3: RSL yeah I think the rise of, of of Dairon Espria in 2021 has been one of like biggest feel-good stories for the Timbers I think there's been a lot of great storylines this season and his has been chief among them the reason that I think he mentioned he's kind of achieved that like fan favorite kind of like you know cult status is because everyone has seen the you know the tools that he brings to the soccer field the spree is the type of player that very often when he gets the ball usually on the left wing he'll put his head down and just go he'll just start running straight towards the goal it's very tenacious running it's not the most flashiest he just works hard works his butt off in seasons past he really hadn't been able to put together that final product of really like scoring or providing assists like getting those numbers that really it is and it was you know frustrating for for fans sometimes because they could see how the good work he could do and the good positions he can find himself in he's never quite put it together with 2021 we're finally seeing what he can put together for for if he finally starts to kind of like score those chances and really kind of you know make the most of his opportunities and like you said he's having a career season it's been pretty incredible i've been mean, pretty vital for the timbers especially when you have you know multiple designated players still coming back to help, Sebastian Blanco is looking finally back to his full you know close to his full self. Jaroslav Nisgoda, their um, the designated player, starting forward for the Timbers, he's been working his way back from full health. He just got his first goal of the season since returning from injury on Saturday against RSL. aspria got a goal as well. He's been really kind of one of the bright lights that's kind of helped buoy the team throughout all of the season, even when, you know, Portland was, you know, losing on the road pretty frequently and like, you know, getting blown out and home against Seattle. It was, um, it was Aspria who was like the one who was just continuing to work hard and not giving up. And he kind of like helped kind of drag the team along. And it's cool to see him get rewarded. As you referenced, he's played a lot of minutes. He's one of Giovanni Savarese's favorite players. He started a bunch and, you know, like I said, his game, he runs a lot. Um, and so fatigue is definitely a factor. I think that's definitely going to be something that factors into Portland's game plan on Wednesday. I would not expect them to retain most of the possession. I would expect them to sit pretty deep. They may come out and try to press during the first 30 minutes or so, but I would not be surprised if they decide to cede most of the possession to LAFC and then try to hit on the counter, similar to how they played against Real Salt Lake on Saturday when RSL was starting to try to chase goals. So that's definitely showing itself to be this team's strength, as it has in many seasons past. And I would definitely expect uh, Savarese to play in that to help keep his players fresh and help ensure that he's not having them chase the game, which historically has not worked out well for the Timbers.
2: Tell us about what the tactics at the beginning of the game of RSL were. Like, How did it become a goal explosion? It's typically, at least for LAFC, it is more of a counter-attacking game, but Savarese usually does have almost like a different game plan at the beginning of the year, and also depending on the opponent, which is interesting.
3: It has been. I think that's something that's gone kind of under the radar during these last few games, is that Savarese has had some smart approaches to these games during this run. He set up his team pretty well, which is something he was not doing later in the season. I think earlier in the season, He was asking too much of the midfield. He tried to, I think, play them a little bit higher, tried to play a little more advanced with his central midfielders, with Diego Chara in particular. And Diego Chara is a Timbers legend, and everyone loves him, and he's also getting up there in age. Um, And so it may have been too much to ask him to do. So you've seen a shift in the past few games of Portland, trying to be proactive early, trying to get an early goal, and then ensuring that they stay tight, stay organized, provide pressure, get their defensive rotations right, get all those little things organizationally right. And you're seeing the results. I think everybody knew this Portland team has talent and they could play well. Earlier in the season, they were missing those little things. They weren't really playing very organized tactically. And it showed in them giving up you know, a lot of goals <laughs> earlier on in the season. Recently, I think you're seeing a lot that the way that they play, it, it's very pragmatic. I think if you want to assign a word to it, I think that's the way that the Timbers will play is pragmatic. They're not, you know, married to one particular type of system, both like uh, offensively or defensively. They rely upon their skill players, get them in good positions, and just let them work. And, you know, as of now, everything kind of seems to be firing on all cylinders for them. Against RSL, you saw how they took advantage of the fact that they invited RSL forward after going up a couple of goals, and RSL was chasing an equalizer, and they took advantage of the spaces that RSL left in behind. Because of the system they were playing, RSL was playing their fullbacks very high left a lot of space in behind. And you saw that on Portland's second goal, on their third or uh, third or fourth goal. I can't remember. There was a lot of goals. <laughs> the uh, Jimmy Chara to Diego Chara goal. You saw that taking advantage of that space in behind. I think, yeah, I think we'll probably see something similar. It was a big question of Savarese going kind of into the month of August um, and into September is, can he still set up his team for success? They, You know, they had just, I think this whole run kind of started after they got blown out At Austin three to one, which teams don't get blown up by Austin, except if you're Portland. (laughs) So it was questions of this team still follow what Savarese is saying. Is he still able to set them up well? And he's proven over the past month or plus that he can, that he can adjust, that he can fix the errors that you know maybe he may or may not be recognizing or owning, but he's recognizing what's wrong and he's able to adjust and able to fix them. And I think that's what's kind of led to this run. And I think it's what's caused them coming, you know, into Wednesday's match with a lot of confidence.
1: You know, as you said, that teams don't get blown out by Austin. Uh, I looked at the score, and the score is 2-0, to
3: zero, Austin, yeah, right now wonderful. over. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good for Portland, and, and I'm sure good for, yeah. for LAFC as well. It keeps LAFC within striking distance. I think, yeah, y'all have the, the big rivalry game coming up on the weekends, right? Yeah. Right so. a, Right after Portland, we played the Derby. Oof, yeah, yeah, it'll be, <laughs> it'll be interesting. Are, and, and then also, too. <laughs>
1: oh, of course. And then also, too, you guys come to, back to L.A., in the early part of October to play the galaxy. So we're hoping that you give them a a nice uh, shellacking while you're here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We'd love to. (laughs) So, okay. So for our last question of the night, obviously the last two matches this season have both been in Portland and both matches ended in the same result, two to one in favor of the Timbers. What do you expect from this week? And is there, you know, do you have any concern, especially because this upcoming weekend, a week from today, you guys are playing Miami at home. So there is those, these three matches within a seven day period. Do you expect to have some players sit versus LAFC that you're going to save for Miami or how do you, how do you feel about this match coming up? And what do you expect to see? Yeah, that's a
3: great question. I think this most recent homestand for the Timbers was all about, all right, you prove that you can like play some good gritty soccer on the road. Can you get results at home? And they by and large proved that aside from kind of one boneheaded first half against Colorado, it was a pretty perfect three game homestand for the Timbers. You know, it's always tricky when you play the same opponents so close after each other as in Portland and LAC are doing. I remember, you know, you can't base too much off of that first game because the second game, it's, you know, it's a new game. I use Portland versus Seattle as an example. Portland got blown out 62 at home against Seattle. But a week and a half later, they gutted out a 2-0 win up in Seattle, which I don't think anybody really saw coming. So I would expect that while I'm sure LAFC remembers those losses and are probably frustrated by them, that they're also going to come out knowing that Portland is a good team. I think Portland is going to understand that LFC is a good team as well. I think it's no joke how much talent is on LAFC. And like y'all referenced, how good they can be and how much, you know, once those underlying numbers start hitting, how much of a big offensive Threat LAFC can be. The biggest question in my mind going into this game and is the future games, it's like, well, Portland has to lose at some point, right? Right? <laughs> you can't run the table for the past next two months of the season. So, based upon, like you referenced the fact that there is some schedule congestion, it's been, you know, a few emotional games up in Providence Park coming up. Uh, this could be a game that could potentially catch the Timbers. I could see that. You can accuse me of that's me hedging my bets or that's me trying to reverse jinx things. But like I've referenced, you know, Portland's league record at LAFC isn't the best I personally would be happy with the draw if you draw Western Conference teams on the road that's solid but I think this one will be another big test of of both these teams I think it'll be a test for does LAFC still have the horses to kind of stay in the thick of the playoff hunt and if Portland is serious about being a you know being a challenger for like those those top four places in the Western Conference realistically for third or fourth at this point based upon the way the table is shaping up then this is a game where you got to show and prove that you can give a good performance, you know, on the road and what happens in the game Wednesday, I think will dictate a lot of what happens on the weekend. It's a home game. Yes. Portland is definitely going to take it seriously. It's also against an Eastern conference opponent. So it's not as much of like, you know, those six pointers as we like to call them like the one against LAFC is on Wednesday. So I could see it going both ways. I think obviously Portland will take any game seriously. And I think they'll definitely try to head into LAFC, you know, wanting to get a result, and then kind of placing their game plan for Miami on the weekend from there. Perfect.
1: Well, again, thank you very much, Sam. Again, for anybody, please go and follow their coverage. This is Sam Siller of Sump Town Footy at Sump Town Footy, and you can follow him personally at Samich 923 and that is uh, Sump Town Footy is the SB Nation coverage of the Portland Timbers and the Thorns. Thank you very much, sir. We really appreciate you coming on again. If we happen to play Portland in the playoffs, you know, be sure that we'll be getting you back on again. And if not, then we'll be sure to see you next season. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. No no problem, man. Thank you. We'll be right back after this short break.
0: This is Bob Bradley, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Great stuff there from Sam Spiller. Upcoming, the upcoming match here versus Portland. He's from Stumptown Footy, SB Nation coverage of the Portland Timbers. Great stuff from him, as always. All right, gentlemen, once again, we're going to be facing off against the pesky pine trees. They're going to be heading down to the bank this time on Wednesday. What do you guys think is going to be different from that very difficult failure-to-finish performance we had up north just a short minute ago?
1: I think that if LAFC gets some of the players back, like Atuesta and Rodriguez, that that will definitely help, and that will change the dynamic of what we saw against San Jose but because those injuries are not clear on whether or not they will be fit and be able to play and let alone whether they'll be able to play with the full 90. I think we should anticipate some form of what we saw in San Jose in terms of a lineup at some point, but I'm optimistic because I know that LAFC can score. We have the ability to be lethal and I am just an optimist in the sense that LAFC is going to find their gear, find a run and make the playoffs. So I'm optimistic in that regard.
2: I think we'll get a W. And the reason is there only one thing that's been consistent all year. And that's a 32 52. I think they're going to will the team into victory in terms of energy, positivity, and just 90 minutes of encouragement. We usually don't have bad results at home. It's at least a draw, but I think because, like I said, it's a clash of styles, of possession versus counterattack, if we can just put some goals away early, I think Sam actually mentioned this in, in a discussion that they have a bad record with their, when they get scored against first. So even if the goal doesn't come early, if we are able to put a goal away first, they potentially chase the game and then we can counterattack them. And I don't think they're comfortable in being in possession themselves. Usually they like to, to bunker and then you know hit on the counter, and that's that's how they take take advantage of a lot of the 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 games that they have been on a run on, and the goals that they score are scrappy. It's atypical for them to have a buildup uh, unless they're getting a six one victory against RSL, where they kind of do that. Even then, they're playing counter. So I think LAFC has a possibility. They got to just put the goals away early. I think Chicho will get probably two goals on this one. I think it's going to be a 2-1 the the inverse of what happened up in Portland.
3: I
0: think there are very few teams in the world that have good records when they get scored on first. So I think scoring the first goal matters a lot in every game for every team doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, unless you're the Bayern Munichs, the PSG's of the world that you know are comfortable giving up a goal and feeling that they can come back. Or LAFC. always wanna. Sorry. Or
2: LAFC 2019.
0: Right. Yeah. Or LAFC 2019, the good old days. The first goal is huge in any game, and you can't give it up on a massive defensive error in the beginning of the game. You can't be pressing that far forward with your center backs, your outside backs, your defensive mids early in the game. And LAFC have been caught pressing too many times of late, early in games, times when you need to let the flow of the game settle down a little bit. Because when the game gets frantic, random things happen and that randomness hasn't gone our way you mentioned it both of you we need to finish our chances we need to finish our chances we need to finish our chances it's, it's out of control at this point the xg differential between opportunity and execution i know it is a stat that not everyone thinks is whatever we've had millions of opportunities you can see it from the eye test we are not converting on those opportunities that needs to change That doesn't change season over. If we can't capitalize on these great opportunities that we have been presented and start capitalizing at a much, much higher percentage, we're done. Again, in this last game, 13 shots, only three on goal. You know, neither of those are particularly good numbers. Neither of those are are numbers that are going to win you a game. It's just we've got to be more clinical in the finishing. And I don't know how we get to that point, you know. We can't put this solely on Chicho, but at this moment, he's the guy. And he's got to step up. Rossi's gone. Vela's quad is not here. Maybe his head isn't either. Atuesta is not going to be out there. Raito's not going to be out there. chicho has got to step up. He's got to, you know, just take the mantle and say, this is my team now. Five goals in five games leading up to this last game versus San Jose certainly says he has it in the locker. But it's going to take a little bit more, especially from some of the young guys that are coming up as well, too, you know, especially from some of these squad players that are getting a lot of minutes and have had some really rough performances. You know, we need to start seeing more from Moon. You know, you mentioned Christosimo, you know, he's another player that is getting a really great opportunity right now. I'd like to see him flourish with it. Raheem Edwards, please stop being the most frustrating human being on planet Earth for me right now. Please, I want you to succeed. It's just all these players have to, the light switch has to go off at some point in time for them. If we're going to make the playoffs and have any chance at thinking we can do anything in the playoffs this postseason. Right now, three points back, another team with a game in hand, a lot of difficult opponents ahead of us, not being able to take points from matches in which we're expected to. It's hard not to be skeptical. It's hard not to echo a lot of the sentiments that the other LAFC fans have at this moment. It's dark. It's the darkest hour we've ever had, which is all the more reason. For everyone to make sure they make it out to the game this Wednesday, this weekend. Bring your lungs with you. Get ready to scream and shout. And let's get behind this team because forever faithful. You know, this is uh, something that all of us believe we're in. in las buenas y malas. So here we are. It's the malas right now. It's time to to show up and show this team that we're here. And maybe that can will them to show up as well, too. All right, sorry, I got a little dark there. I'm going to get down off my soapbox here. Do you guys have any uh, final thoughts on this upcoming match versus Portlandia?
1: I think that not only is getting the win on Wednesday important because of the um, points, the six-point swing that potentially could happen in order to get us into the playoffs, I think that having the momentum from a victory on Wednesday to carry on into this weekend is also vital. You know, For any of us that aren't fully aware of the calendar and the schedule, as soon as we're done playing Portland we go and have a derby in uh at the Galaxy Stadium in Carson. So if we lose on Wednesday I mean what is that going to do to the morale and the just the overall demeanor in the locker room who knows but I think that a win is definitely going to set us off on the right foot for the match this upcoming weekend.
0: You make a fantastic point. Momentum going into Carson. Momentum going into Carson. That game is Basically the season for us right now. Uh, We go in this weekend and we win. It's kind of a mission accomplished for us. Maybe not the big one, but it's a very important one to win down there and building this momentum, going into it massive. Christian, any final thoughts for us today?
2: Speaking of the opponent after Portland, if they have a bad midweek result themselves, they're starting to slide down this playoff table, right? So it could be a clash, in which we're trying to you know, step on them to try to get into the playoffs. They're playing Salt Lake midweek, right? So Salt Lake is hungry too. And now they're in this dogfight as well. So it's important to take the three points and as soon as that's over, we'll get something out of the game and trend in a positive direction going into the weekend match because they might be in the mix and you know, being able to jump into the playoff spots and also making it more difficult for them And hopefully they're not able to make it. That that being part of that would be an important thing for the morale of the of the supporters and fans as well as the team.
0: Yeah, Carson got spanked by our Hermanitos Tejanos down there in Austin. What a golazo too! I think that was goal of the week. I I think they ended up getting for that that rocket shot. That uh, wow, fantastic! Hats off. You know, I kind of it's kind of hard to hate on Austin. You know, they've been. They've been so terrible this year, but I kind of like everything that they're doing, even if it is like LAFC light, right? It feels like they've copied a lot of the things we're doing, but flattery and imitation are so often intertwined. It's hard to hate on them for it too much. I kind of want them to do well sometimes, especially versus Carson. So fantastic to see that they did that. I think that about wraps us up for today. We would like to thank you all for listening to episode 103 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. You can follow us at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. If you're interested in reaching out to any of us to be on the show, please drop a line to Jonathan, Chris, or Christian at LAFCS2S.com. Let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear back from you. Gentlemen, anything before we send it home?
1: Nope. We'll just see everybody at the bank and uh, get ready for the Derby this weekend. Score more goals.
0: Once again, we would like to thank Sam Spiller from Stumptown Footy at SB Nation for being our opponent correspondent this week. And with that, take us home, sticks. Showed
3: up to show up together this our culture. From the force of a supernova. Stay flying at FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown town lity. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her They won't need a stop, but I ain't come to my house, i defend that bank.